You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis chapter 45 is where we're going to be, and we, we won't stand and read just in a mo- until um, in a moment here. Genesis 45 um, we're back in our series after a couple of weeks off, and uh, last time we looked at the idea of how God can take what seem like the worst situations in life and turn them into something good, and I'm thankful for that truth. How often, um, you know, we, the experience of a bad circumstance produces something in us if we, if we have the right perspective that, that is positive, and, and only God can do that. Only God can turn the bad into something good. And, and many of us look back at difficulties in our life and we see how God produced something good from it. And that the phrase that Joseph used here in verse 8 of chapter 45, he said, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And that phrase right there makes all the difference. If we can, in our hardships, remember to say the phrase, but God... No matter how difficult, no matter how bleak, no matter how dark, then, then it allows God uh, to produce in us what we never thought we, that he could in a situation that's tough. See, I mean, think about Joseph. God allowed Joseph to overcome betrayal by his own brothers. I mean, they sold him as a slave because they were jealous. He was daddy's favorite. They threw him in a pit, and, and he, was, he was sold as a slave to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife lied about him. Uh, he was thrown into prison. He was forgotten in prison. And all those years, 17 years, just wondering if God was going to keep the promises that God had made. And you know how Joseph got through every day? What Joseph would tell himself is this, but God. Yeah. I mean, I know this is happening, but God. And the Lord eventually brought him out of prison and brought him into Pharaoh's house. And he was second in command in all of Egypt. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 45, he's the prime minister. He's in charge of the distribution of food during the famine. And lo and behold, you know, he's in charge of giving out food and distributing it. And lo and behold, ten, ten men show up who happen to be his brothers. And they haven't seen him since they sold him as a slave 22 years before. They don't recognize him. He's clean shaven. He, he speaks Egyptian. And they come before him asking for food. And so he tests them. And after a series of tests, he's trying to determine if his brothers are repentant about the things that they did to him when he was 17 years old. And because of their growth and maturity, the tests reveal that they are repentant. They have a new, bro- a new favorite in the family. His name is Benjamin. That's Joseph's little brother. And they don't seem to have the same spirit of resentment toward the new favorite that they did toward Joseph when he was the favorite. So when we get to chapter 45, he reveals himself to his brothers. And what an, what an amazing story. They're understandably terrified. I mean, this is the second in command in all of Egypt. They sold him as a slave they betrayed him, he's their brother, and they just know he's going to take revenge, but he stands before them and says, but God. I can see how God, he says, I can see how God used these awful circumstances to bring me to this place at this time 
for this reason, so that you and our father would survive the famine. And after God, after, so God used the difficulties to accomplish his purpose for Israel. And after Joseph reveals himself, there's a sweet reunion with his brothers. And that's where we pick up our reading. Genesis 45, if you would please stand and we'll begin reading in verse 15. Genesis 45, verse 15. It says, moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Pharaoh's happy about it. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, say unto thy brethren, this do ye. So Pharaoh gives some instruction. Laid your beasts and go Get you unto the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come unto me and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt and ye shall eat the fat of the land. That basically just means the best of the land. And so verse, uh, eight, verse 19. And now thou art commanded, this do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Verse 21. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons, according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. Verse uh, 23. And to his father... He sent after this manner ten asses laid with the good things of Egypt and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away and they departed and he said unto them, see that you fall not out by the way. And that phrase basically means this, don't fight. Have you ever told your kids that? You know, they're going to go somewhere to somebody's house or whatever. It's like, while you're there, do not fight or you're in big trouble. Here's Joseph telling his older brothers, because he knows them, hey, don't quarrel, don't fight along the way. I mean, how sad that he has to tell them that. Verse 25, it says, And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan and unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. And can you imagine that? I mean, 22 years he thought Joseph was dead. I mean, I wonder if they did it nonchalantly because they knew. You know, they're like, hey, Dad, um, can you pass the ketchup? <coughs> Joseph's alive. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to tell him. I mean, they're the reason that Joseph's been gone for 22 years. But, but they tell him they have to come clean. Joseph is yet alive, they say. And by the way, big surprise, you would not believe it. He is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not, of course. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. Remember, Beersheba is where God met J Jacob 
after he deceived his father and had to flee from Esau. Beersheba's, you know, the, the, the idea of Jacob's ladder, where he sees the angels ascending and descending. That's Beersheba. God has met Jacob at Beersheba before. So he goes back to the place where God has met him to the altar and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So just so we know what that means, that's a phrase referring to death. You know, in the, when someone would die and, you know, you would close their eyes in death. Basically, he's telling him, you're going to see Joseph again. And Joseph will actually be there at your death. For jo Jacob, that was a reassurance, okay? For us, we'd be like, I don't want to die. Well, for Jacob, he's just happy to hear that Joseph's alive. And he'll spend the rest of his days with his favorite son. Uh, verse 5. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father... And their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan. And came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him. His sons and his sons' sons with him. His daughters and his sons' daughters. And all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And just so, so we know the rest of the chapter. Most of it is just listing out the names of his sons and daughters and their families. Look at verse 28. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph after they make the trip to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. That's where they were going to settle. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck. Can you imagine this reunion? He fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel, Jacob, Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Uh, we're going to stop our reading there, but sometimes God does the unexpected in our lives. And when he does that, we can either resist and miss out on all the blessings, on all the things he wants to do, or we can submit and experience the great things that he has in store. Uh, I know which one I want. I mean, there are times when life throws you a curveball. There are times when, when it comes at you and you're like, where did this come from? What in the world is happening? You have two options. You can either resist it. and I mean, the unexpected is going to happen either way. But you can either resist it and miss whatever God's trying to do. Or you can just submit and roll with it and experience the blessings that God has in store. And which one do you want? Now, how should you respond when God does the unexpected? That's the idea today. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we need you. I need you. I pray that you bless the reading of your word and bless our time together. Help us not to just come and sit in the pews like we have many times. God, help us to be open and attentive to your word and your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some people don't like surprises. Maybe you're one of those. You, you're, you're the kind that hates to be surprised. You, you like to plan. 
you, you like to know what's happening and so you can plan ahead. Some might call you a control freak and you just like to think you're very prepared, okay? Uh, some people don't like surprises. They don't like to be startled. Uh, people respond differently to being surprised. How many of you in your family, when some, you've got somebody in your family and when they get scared, they jump, okay? Or when they, when they get scared, they scream. Um, or some, some of you, I mean, some of us, you know, being startled doesn't really, you know, doesn't really bother us, you know, because we're tough, too tough to be startled like that. Now, now it's a challenge accepted, right? Some people freeze. We had, when, some people punch when they're surprised. When I was on staff there at, in Stillwater, we had uh, two guys, one of them you've met, Jonathan Pyle, and, uh, and Jonathan's not a real big guy, but we had another guy that worked on staff with us, and he was a weightlifter. He's a big guy, big, strong guy. And his name was Peter. And, and he was very jumpy. Like, he's a, for a big guy, he would, his, his surprise posture was like, ooh, you know, one of those. It was great. And so Brother Jonathan and I made it our mission to surprise him at every turn. And Peter, if you know him, he's a book reader, and he would walk the halls in the back of the church and read books. So he was always a prime candidate to be scared. And so um, we, we, would, we would do this thing where I would stand with my phone somewhere far back, and I would convince Jonathan Pyle to be the one that jumps out and scares him. Even though Peter was known, whenever he got scared, his first response was this right here. So for some reason, though, you know, I was able to be the one behind the camera. That was the safer place to be. So we have video after video of Brother Jonathan jumping out. And Peter got him by the collar and just like this. And I kept waiting for someday when the punch actually followed through. But, you know, God protected my friend. So, um, but we have video after video. Maybe you're like that. When you, when you get startled, that's your reaction. You're a screamer. You're a jumper. Uh, you know, the same thing is true in life. When something unexpected happens... Your response will determine what you learn from that experience. And some of us, when things don't go our way, our response is to be utterly thrown into chaos. For some of us, your response is to freeze up. Uh, for, for some of us, your response is immediately fear and doubt. Uh, for some, your response is, hey, I'm, a, I'm just kind of a laid-back personality. I roll with the punches. But we have to be mindful because unexpected things happen in life all the time. And your response to the unexpected determines whether or not you learn the lessons you're supposed to. I mean, think about Jacob here. This was very unexpected uh, for him. He wasn't expecting to move. I mean, think about it. He's assumed that his favorite son, Joseph, has been dead for 22 years. So this is very unexpected. Uh, and not only that, he sent his sons to, to Egypt to get food, not to relocate. So when they come back and tell him, hey, we're going to move back to Egypt, that's unexpected. Uh, not only that, it would have been out of the question for Jacob to move because God gave them the land. I mean, this isn't just Jacob deciding, oh yeah, I, I kind of like this spot. We're going to settle right here. No, God in Genesis 12 took Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, brought him over a thousand miles through the desert and landed him right there in Canaan and said, this is where I want you to be. This land was a big part of God's promise. Leaving this land 
that's a very unexpected move for Jacob. Um, this was the land in which Jacob worshipped God. This is the land in which Je uh, the God had appeared to Jacob, where God had prospered Jacob. This was unexpected. This is the land that God promised to give to Israel's descendants. I mean, you talk about an unexpected move. The last thing that Jacob expected was for God to move him out of the promised land. And maybe you've had an unexpected move. Uh, we have. I mean, we, we had property in Oklahoma. We bought it. Uh, we built a house on it. And we designed that house. We poured ourselves into that house with blood and sweat and tears and lots of tears and tears. I mean, when you invest something like that, you don't expect to let it go. And so when I got a call, it was fall of 2016 when Pastor Phil Spencer, uh, the former pastor and, and a, a great, I just appreciate him so much, former pastor of Eastside Baptist Church, he called me. This would have been six years ago that he called me. And he talked to me about potentially coming to Eastside Baptist Church. And, and that first call, you know, I, I said, well, give me a, some time to pray about it. And the first thing I did was get on Wikipedia and check out Sioux Falls weather. <laughs> that was a big mistake. Because God revealed to me in that week, this is not where you're supposed to go. So I called him back and said, I just don't think, um, you know, it's the right time. I'm not sure it's the right, it's not just not what I'm supposed to do right now. So we, he called again a few months later. He called again a few months later. And each time I would get on Wikipedia every time. See, the January highs are like 26. The lows are in the single digits. And, uh, you know, God was just revealing it to me, I guess. So, no, we, we had a few conversations over the next year and a half. And I just didn't feel like I could say yes. But then the Lord did the unexpected. As we talked again in January of 2018. And so it's been a while but that time, for some reason, uh, God didn't let me say no. And that time, for some reason, you know, I had a green light to say yes. And, and so, you know, about a year later, we were here in January of 2019, which is a perfect time to come if you're going to convince somebody to come to Sioux Falls. You know, it's a place, though, that we were, you know, we came and candidated. We moved in March of that year. And, but, it, for the, you know, for, it became clear that God was moving us to South Dakota, a place that until that time we had no connections and we didn't really have any knowledge of it. It was unexpected. And listen, when you have deep ties, that's unexpected and it makes it harder. And when, you, when you've poured yourself into a place and you've built a house from scratch, uh, you don't expect to leave it. But listen, even our ties to that house on that property didn't come close to the connection that Jacob felt with the place in which he lived. I mean, this is generations of God's promises. Canaan was literally the land that God had handpicked for Israel and, that, and, and the family and generations to live. It's the promised land. And by the way, Israel is still the rightful owner of that piece of land there in the Middle East. God gave it to them. So he brought Abraham over a thousand miles away to that spot and God's promises were connected to that piece of ground. And when chapter 45 takes place, the last thing that Jacob is thinking is, oh, I'm going to leave the promised land. I'm not, only all, not only is it unexpected 
for all those reasons. But at this time, Jacob, is a, he's about 130 years old. And I don't know about you, but if I'm 130, I'm not expecting to move anytime soon. I'm pretty settled. I mean, he's right where he's going to be. But listen, sometimes that's when God does the work. That's when God does the unexpected things, when we're most settled and we've been there for a while. Listen, it's not like Jacob was in the wrong place. But here's the thing. God had different plans for him. And even though these plans were unexpected, the best thing for Jacob was to follow God in the unexpected. If he didn't, he was going to miss out on all that God wanted to do for that family. And I know, just notice then what needs to happen if we're going to follow God in the unexpected. Number one, you have to trust God's provision. You have to trust God's provision. Verse 17, look what it says. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, say unto thy, thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beast, and go, and get ye unto the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take your wagons, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt, for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father, and come and he says in verse 20, also, chapter 45, 20, also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. I mean, God often provides in unexpected ways. Who could have predicted that it would be Pharaoh who would make the journey to Egypt possible? I mean, this is a pagan king. He has no intentions to, uh, for God's kingdom work to be advanced. And yet God is using this man to do God's work. And the Bible says Pharaoh was pleased to do the work. He says, I'll give you the good of the land. He wasn't planning to bring them to Egypt and make them settle in the sandy desert. No, Goshen, there near Cairo, was a fertile valley with, with lots of greenery, plenty of water from the river. This was the place they could go and settle and, and live for a while. And not only was Pharaoh going to provide a place to dwell, he sent wagons to them. I mean, it's like, and these weren't, you know, Oregon trail wagons. I mean, I, this is like two guys in a truck. I mean, they're coming here, they're loading up your stuff, and they're moving it all for you. James Boyce, a commentator, he says, to return to Canaan with carts from Egypt was the cultural equivalent of landing a jumbo jet among a tribe of isolated savages. It would be the stuff legends are made of. I mean, to see a, a, this caravan of wagons that coming with loaded with stuff and, and yet also to bring them back. And Pharaoh tells Joseph, don't worry about this stuff. Whatever you've got, leave it there. We don't need, they don't need it because we have plenty here. He, he's going to provide everything. Our apartments are furnished, he's saying. So he sent wagons and animals. They're loaded down with everything they needed for the trip. Look at verse 22. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin, the favorite son, remember Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. My only commentary on that as an older brother is this. Once a spoiled little brother, always a spoiled little brother. Um, verse 23. And to his father he sent after this manner, ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. There's 20 animals, 20 animals just for Jacob. 
I mean, loaded with, with everything you could think of, not just food, but clothing and money and supplies. Uh, there were probably magazines for reading. Not really. A, a nice neck pillow. I mean, anything you need for traveling, okay? Uh, it's a joke, by the way. Books on tape. Okay. Anything you can think of for a trip. I mean, anything you can think of, Jacob had 10 animals on his own. I mean, this is unexpected. But listen, God provides materially. And, and we don't have a right to, uh, to prosperity like some preachers on TV will tell you. But here's the thing. Neither do we have to feel guilty when God does provide materially for us. I mean, you know, we think it's a vow, you know, to be poor and it's a vow... Uh, to always deny yourself. God is tremendously blessed. Some people right here in this room. And none of us should begrudge that. Sometimes that's how he works. On the other hand. Be mindful of this. We should hold on to those things lightly. And not let them own us. The Bible says in Luke 12 48. Unto whomsoever much is given. Of him shall be much required. And yet we think it's all good. If God blesses us with a lot. But it also means we are responsible. To take what God has given. And invest it back in his work. We have a responsibility. The more that we have. The more we're responsible for. Be thankful for it. But be responsible for it. Here's the point today. This point and this first point. If God does something unexpected. He will always provide what we need to follow him. When God, whom God calls. He equips and enables. And he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You've heard that. And even when it's unexpected, see, we have a few families in our church, and I'm thinking about they're preparing to be first-time parents. I'm grateful to hear about that. I, I love that. I'm excited for you because parenting is the most rewarding uh, experience of life and, almost, and also the most overwhelming I'm-about-to-drown experience. Okay? I heard somebody say, what's it like? to?" They had three babies, and, and they were having a fourth, and somebody said, what's it like to have a fourth baby? And they said, imagine that you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. <laughs> you know, parenting is rewarding and yet it's also hard. And sometimes I'm telling you, you're, you're, maybe you're expecting unexpectedly. You, didn't, you thought it would never come and, and you thought, well, maybe God won't, God's not going to do that for us. And now here we are um, expecting unexpectedly. And what, how are we going to do this? I'm telling you, every parent feels that way. We all feel overwhelmed. And I remember taking our Olivia home uh, the first day. We got home and sat down. It's like, what are we supposed to do now? Like every, uh, what, what next? You feel overwhelmed. And yet I'm telling you this. If God has unexpectedly blessed you with that child and that life, then he, you are the perfect parents. You are the exact couple that God wanted that baby to be born to. And he'll give you everything you need along every step of the way. That's how he does it. If he calls us to something unexpected, he'll provide for us in every moment. That's what he does. And understand his timing may not always make sense to us. Look at verse 26, uh, chapter 45. And told him, um, saying, Joseph, his brothers, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted. For he believed them not, and they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Listen, the idea here in verse 27 is that Jacob's fire was out. I mean, 
he was a worn out man who had very little left to live for. He's 130 years old. He's in his twilight years. He's not thinking something big's about to happen for him. But, and when he first heard his son's report, he didn't believe him. Who can blame him? I mean, it's been 22 years. He saw the bloody coat with his own eyes. He thought Jake, Joseph was dead. He doubts. Listen, sometimes God may wait in our lives to do something it's so long that doubt sets in. And you're thinking, is God going to work? Is God going to move? Does God care? Where is God? And when the brothers told Jacob what jo Joseph said, and he looked up and he saw the wagons, it did something to erase his doubt. See, Jacob needed something unexpected to spark in him a new will and a new desire to take steps of growth. And maybe you're in a place of stagnation right now. You need something to wake you up. You need something new. You need something unexpected to get you out of the death spiral that you're in. And maybe what's happening in your life is unexpected, but it's exactly what God is, is wanting to happen in your life because he wants your attention to be turned back to him. See, just like Jacob, uh, you, you must turn to God's word and, and then become aware of God's provision that he's already made. Let that convince you that whatever is unexpected is exactly what you need. I mean, verse 28, it says, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. I mean, just a few chapters, think about this. Just a few chapters before all Joseph could say, all Jacob could say was this, everything's against me. You remember that message? Everything's against me, God. I mean, Joseph is gone. Simeon's gone. You're going to take Benjamin and Benjamin's going to be gone. Everything's against me. Well, now he's saying, it is enough. What's enough? Just knowing Joseph was alive. Just knowing that Joseph was alive, that's all he needed. And I want you to hear this. Joseph so often in this story is a picture of Jesus Christ. And as a type of Christ, let me just tell you this. When the unexpected happens in your life and challenges arise in your life and you doubt what God might be doing, do you know what should be enough for you? Just knowing that Jesus is alive. It is enough. I mean, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. That means life is worth the living just because he lives. And I'm telling you, I'm in the habit in my life. And when I face an emotion that's too big or I face a situation that I can't handle and it seems overwhelming for me, literally in my mind, what I tell myself is this. If Jesus is alive, then he can handle this. If Jesus is alive, then this relationship problem is not too big for him. And if Jesus is alive, then, then this financial burden is not too much for God. If Jesus is alive, then the heartache and the trial that I'm facing is well within his power. If Jesus is alive, there's nothing that he can't handle in our lives. Listen, it is enough. It is enough that Jesus is alive it's enough for your salvation. It's enough for you. 
You say, I don't know about salvation. Well, listen, if Jesus died and rose again, that should prove to you that salvation is well within his ability. It is enough that Jesus is alive for your trials. And if it's enough for your salvation, it's enough for your trials. If it's enough for your salvation, it's enough for your heartaches. If it's enough for your salvation, it's enough for your doubts and fears. Jesus is alive. And friend, listen, that is enough. When God does the unexpected, you have to trust that God's provision is enough. If he calls you to it, he'll provide you through it. It, it, He will provide for you in the unexpected. The next truth is so important too. When God does the unexpected, trust his provision. But second, when God does the unexpected, you have to remember God's promises. God could have come to speak to Jacob here for many reasons. But one of them that I believe is the simple fact that Jacob needed reassurance. See, look at verse 1. Actually, just a minute. To this point, um, all Jacob had was the testimony. Listen, all Jacob had was the testimony of his sons. To this point, all he had was wagons full of stuff. Now, that's plenty of evidence. But understand, Jacob was leaving his homeland. And the, the land God gave him, he couldn't base his decision... Listen, there's a lot, a lot of movement this morning. I'm just asking to focus in, okay? Um, Jacob had a big decision to make. Leaving the promised land was clearly what God wanted him to do, okay? But he couldn't base his decision just on what his sons were telling him. And he couldn't base his decision just on the fact that there's a bunch of wagons with stuff in them. See, he needed something different. He needed something bigger than just that. See, he needed on his own, he needed to hear from God. See, when life surprises you, you can come to a lot of conclusions based on the counsel of other people and the circumstances you're facing. But any child of God must have a walk with God before they can move forward for God. Look at at verse 1. Chapter 46, sorry, verse 1. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. Notice who took the first steps here. See, Jacob went to Beersheba on his own, the place where God had met with him before. He offered sacrifices. Listen, I want you to get this. He didn't wait on God to make the first move. We have far too many people in life saying, God's forgotten about me. Where is God? Does God care? Why doesn't God speak? But if you're not taking steps to have a relationship with God, he doesn't force himself on anybody. It is your responsibility and my responsibility to put ourselves in a position to walk with God on our own. On a daily basis. To open God's word and read it and seek God and pray. And in the church... Listen, every time the doors are open, you know, don't just check Sunday morning off your list and think that's enough for the week. What if you only ate once a week? Would that be enough? And we've got to be mindful of this. We live in a culture that says Sunday morning is enough. But I'm telling you, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the Bible says Jesus loved the church enough to die for the church. And not only that, he says not forsaking the assembling 
together as the manner of some is. And he says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't assume that one service a week is enough for you. I mean, we are, we are to commit ourselves to the church that Jesus Christ died for. And so take some steps. No, um, no wonder life is a struggle. No wonder we're not hearing from God. No wonder it doesn't seem like he's moving because we're not moving. God, the Bible says you draw nigh, then God draws nigh to you. And if you're struggling and the unexpected things are throwing you through for a loop, take some steps and say, God, I want you to see that I'm serious about my relationship with you. I'm opening my, your word. I'm memorizing it. And I'm going to come every time the doors are open because that's how serious I am about my relationship with God. And as, God takes, as Jacob takes his steps, look at verse 2. God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And he said, I am, the God, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not. Look what he does. When Jacob takes steps, it calms his fear. God calms his fear. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also... Will also uh, surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Understand this. Jacob got God's word as a reassurance. He, he goes to God's promises. Uh, he, he reminds, God reminds him of what he's going to do, and the two things that he confirms is this. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to keep my promises. I'm telling you, if you're struggling with the unexpected, and you're trying to deal with life, and you're, I mean, and you're struggling through those things... You need God's promises and you need God's presence in your life. You need to walk with God. When God does the unexpected, I, I trust his provision. He'll take care of you. But number two, remember his promises. Number three, almost done. For some of you struggling through it, submit to his plan. Submit to his plan. See, by submit, I don't mean be resigned. Here's what we do, okay? Wake up, almost done. Here's what we do. The unexpected. Oh, bother. Well, it's God's plan. Guess I'll just have to muddle through it. Okay, Eeyore. Hey, God's plan. If, if we would flip the way we look at God's plan, we'd realize that it's not all bad. Now, it's not our expectation. But God's plan usually has a better ending than ours. So rather than just be resigned to God, God's plan, be all in for God's plan. You know, Jacob said, here am I. That's a good place to start. Uh, you, you, want, you want the unexpected to turn out good for you? Say, here am I. Uh, look at verse 5. Look what Jacob does. It's a great example. Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, and their little ones, and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Look at this. Jacob trusted God's provision. He used the provisions God sent to, to, to get back to Egypt. In other words, God gives us resources, and you might as well take advantage of the resources that God provides uh, to, to get where you're supposed to go. I mean, God's provided you with a job. Use those resources to serve and follow God. I mean, God provides you things. Sometimes we think, I don't have a way out of this. No, God's given you provisions. He, he's given you a room full of friends right here. You don't have to face the trials alone. I mean, he gives us provisions. He gives us his word for guidance and counsel. 
Use the provision he gives. But look what Jacob does in verses 6 and 7. There's two words I want you to notice. They took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob, and what's the next word? All his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. And what's the next word? And all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Here's the thing. Jacob was all in. I'm not saying that the unexpected was easy. I'm not saying that it's what he would choose. I'm not saying that it was, it was his choice and that this is what he wanted. But if you're going to benefit from the unexpected, you must submit to God's plan. You must be all in. And if you don't submit, think about it, you're going to miss the benefits. Think about the benefits that Jacob would have missed with this unexpected plan. He would have missed survival. I mean, he would have missed food. He would have not enjoyed the nourishment. He wouldn't have been able to go to the fertile land. He wouldn't have been close to Joseph. Not to mention, God had told Jacob, I'm going to prosper, uh, prosper you, make you a great nation while you're in Egypt. Think about all that Jacob would have missed if he had said, you know what, this plan is unexpected. I mean, if he had said, this plan does not compute, that's how we are sometimes. We have our set of expectations. And when God's, set of ex- God's plans don't meet our expectations, it's like, does not compute, this is not in my calculations. And we think, I can't do that because that's not what I planned. And yet understand, the, the, the massive load of benefits was not going to come from Jacob staying in Canaan in his box. The massive load of benefits was going to come with Jacob saying no to his plans and being all in for God's plans. You know, it would have spelled disaster if he just said, I can't follow. But understand, you don't get the benefits if you don't submit to the plans. I mean, think about marriage. You know, God has a plan for marriage. But the reason marriages don't work is because either husband or wife or both refuse to submit to God's plan for their role in that marriage. Unless you submit to God's plan, you don't get the benefits. You trade love and peace and a team effort for discord and misery and fights and maybe worse. The world thinks that God's plan for marriage is unexpected. I mean, think about it. They look at God's plan for marriage and say, that's not expected. Why would, I, why would we ask a, a wife to submit to her husband? That is unexpected. That's not culturally correct, politically correct. Why would we do it that way? Why as a wife would, would I submit? Why as a husband would I sacrificially love my wife? That's too unexpected. That's not the norm. But tell me, which results are superior? God's unexpected ways... Or the worldly ways of the culture. Look at divorce rates and tell me which one is superior. Listen, follow God's plan. Enjoy the benefits. Do your own thing and miss out on them. I think about finances. God has a plan. His plan is this. Seek his kingdom first and he'll provide for your needs. You say, that's unexpected. I mean, no, giving, no. Investing, that's the key. Uh, Cryptocurrency right now, do it. Don't do it. Well, God's into investing too. 
It's just that he's investing in his kingdom work, which means investing in people. And the world says, that doesn't make sense. That's unexpected. Well, true, but the choice that you have is to invest your finances in your portfolio that might make your last years of life comfortable, but when you die, you don't take any of it with you. Or you can invest in something that will last into eternity, the souls of men and women and children everywhere. And Matthew 6 says, if you do that, God will still meet your basic needs. Which one is superior? Eternal rewards or earthly temporary rewards? How about salvation? Again, you must submit to God's plan if you're going to enjoy the benefits. Salvation, you know God has a plan for salvation? Religion says work. Do more good than bad. Let your good works outweigh your bad works. Get baptized. Treat people right. That's the way. No, God's way is unexpected. It really is. It's, it's not what we would imagine. You see, God's way is unexpected in that he says, you can't be good enough because you're a sinner. And you deserve to be separated from me forever in a place called hell because I'm holy and you're not. But, but I loved you enough that I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins in your place. And all I expect from you is to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And yes, I know it's unexpected and I know it doesn't make sense. But I'm telling you, you don't get to enjoy the benefits of heaven until you submit to God's plan for salvation. You can try it your own way, but it will not get you there. I know it's unexpected, but which result is better? If our way leads to eternal separation from God, and, and God's way leads to eternal life in heaven, I'm telling you which one I want. And it applies in every area of life. You, get, you don't get to enjoy the benefits of the unexpected unless you submit to God's plans. Every time. Listen, God provides he, he, for his plan to take place, he'll give you the provision and he's made promises that you can, that you can believe and all he asks is that you submit to his plan. So I'm asking you today, in what areas of your life are you being unsubmissive to God's plans? Church, you know, it's unexpected in this culture to commit to church and yet people commit to soccer. People commit to baseball across the way over here. All summer long on Sundays, all day. People commit to a job. Uh, people commit to their, their career and their, their schooling. And I'm not saying those things aren't, aren't worthy. Those, those things can be important. But if you do all those things your whole life and you never commit to something that contributes to your spiritual life, I'm telling you, you'll spend your whole life busy. And at the end, you'll think, man, that didn't amount to much. So commit yourself to the thing that Jesus committed himself to, which is the local church. He died for it. That's God's plan for your growth. Commit to it. Commit to God's word. If you want the benefits, commit to God's word. It's unexpected that reading the same book over and over can produce lasting benefits, except that God's word is alive. <laughs> and it produces life in us. You don't read it once, you can read it every day and it will revive your soul like Jacob's. Teens and your obedience, maybe to your parents, if you'll commit to God's plan, he'll bless you with benefits you never thought. And some of you are bucking the system right now. 
and, and God wants to bless you. So you are forfeiting God's blessings in your life by doing things your own way. And God says, okay, if you want a long life full of peace and blessings, obey your parents. So you're forfeiting that for what? I mean, it's not worth it. I'm telling you. You don't get to enjoy the benefits unless you submit to God's plans. In parenting, listen, it's unexpected to discipline and train your children. The world looks at that and says, no, don't do that. Don't tell your children no. It hurts their self-esteem. No, actually not telling them no hurts them, so, hurts them worse than telling them no. See, that's God's plan. And yet, and listen, there are countless examples of people in this room who've raised their children according to God's principles and, and they're normal-ish. No, you've you got example after example of family after family in this room who said, we're going to submit to God's plan for raising our kids. And you can see it in the way those children have turned out. But you don't get to enjoy those benefits unless you submit to God's plans. What are you going to miss because you're refusing to trust God's provision or remember God's promises or submit to God's plans today? The unexpected happens to everyone. We might as well roll with it and receive the benefit because God has a benefit. Or we could refuse to submit. And as we do, we miss out on everything God wants to do. Listen, the unexpected happens anyway. But if you want the benefits from it, you have to submit to his plans. He has plans. Figure out what they are and follow him. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.